1: And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. Richard Ryerson
0: here. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Thank you so much for uh, all your support, and please make sure you're telling your friends, your family, your coworkers about the show. We continue to grow by leaps and bounds. We are consistently a top 25 business podcast on iTunes, and I couldn't do it without your support. If you could, if you haven't done so, please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review this show. It does so much to the visibility of of this show. There's... New podcast coming out every day, and we're continuing to stay out in front. You know, I want to keep it front and center, and so with your help, we can continue to do that. Please subscribe, rate, and review; it means so much to me. I'm going to do some brand new friends to the show, partnering with 99 Designs. You know, they've helped me so much with my branding of the business. That you know, branding is the face of your business. You can make a great impression with creative, professional designs from 99 Designs. I love what they do there. Visit 99designs.com/leadership and get a power pack upgrade absolutely free. I'm absolutely thrilled to have Danny Shapiro on the show today. She's the best-selling author of the memoirs Devotion and Slow Motion and five novels including Black and White and Family History. Her work has appeared in The New Yorker, Granta, Tin House, One Story, Ella, The New York Times Book Review, The Op-Ed Pages of The New York Times, The Los Angeles Times, and has been broadcast on This American Life. Danny was recently Oprah Winfrey's guest on Super Soul Sunday and was chosen by Ariane Huffington to speak at the New York City Thrive Conference. She has taught in the writing programs at Columbia, NYU, the New new School, and Wesleyan University. She is co-founder of the Siren Land Writers Conference in Positano, Italy, a contributing editor at Travel and Leisure. She lives with her family in Litchfield County, Connecticut, and her latest book, Still Writing, The Perils and Pleasures of a Creative Life. Danny, what a thrill. Thank you for coming on Dose of Leadership.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. It's great to be with you.
0: You know, we were talking a little bit before the recording started, and, and some people, you go to Dose of Leadership or you Google it and you think it's all about, oh, you know, business leadership and and how to become a better leader and, and they, they think it in the kind of stereotypical sense. But, I, you know, a big theme about this show and what has happened, in fact, I had two interviews this morning and this same theme comes up. And it certainly happened with me in my life And that uh, um, great leadership, great leaders, great entrepreneurship, anything creative in life demands uh, a sort of uh, groundness and self-centeredness and, and a, a complete knowing of yourself, I think that's kind of what the theme is happening in this show. Your book, Mm -hmm. Devotion, has completely... It's one of the most uh, impactful books in my personal life that I've read in a very long time. Um, There's so many things I want to talk to you about, but first of all, tell us a little bit more about you, a quick background, and how you got to get to write Devotion. And There's so much I want to ask about, but first let's talk about Devotion.
2: Sure, sure. Um, Well, I was raised in uh, in New Jersey in um, a religious home, um, an observant Jewish home, um, in a very complicated way because my father was observant and he was from uh, a very religious family and my mother was not. And when they, she was Jewish, but they, she was not religious. And when they married, she agreed to raise whatever children they had in my father's belief system, and that was me. I was, an only, I was their only child. And um, that that made for a very complex, uh, very rich, but also confusing childhood. Um, you know, somebody recently asked me if I always knew that I would ultimately uh, rebel, you know, whether if I always knew that I would end up uh, not living um, the life that I was raised in And it was such an interesting question because the truth was, yes, I always knew. I really, on some level, even as a little kid, I knew that it wasn't, that it didn't sort of resonate with me. Um, And another thing that people ask me a lot is, did you always know you wanted to be a writer? And it's easy to reverse engineer that and say, yes, because I always wrote, but I didn't grow up knowing that it was remotely possible to become a writer. I mean, I was a kid who was in love with books and who read constantly and voraciously anything I could get my hands on, but the thought that I could actually, that anyone could actually do that with their lives wasn't something that I understood or knew. Um, I wasn't raised in a community where there are other artists or writers at all. It was very much a traditional suburban neighborhood, and the dads all got on the train and went to work in New York and they were investment bankers and doctors and lawyers and accountants and, you know, just generally white collar business people. And the moms mostly stayed home and, and uh, took care of the kids. And anyway, so that was, that was where I came from. And um, it wasn't until I went to college that I was exposed to working writers. Um, And that's its own little bit of a, you know, of a of a miracle of sorts that I ended up at the school that I went to, which was Sarah Lawrence College, where they had a wonderful writing program. It was it, I, I would not say it was accidental, and I would not say um, that it was intentional either. I, I, you know, there's so many things in life that are that are like that, and I, I write about that a lot in Devotion. But that was a great, um, great stroke of good fortune for me because I started seeing that it was possible, the the seed was planted, I started seeing that it was possible to maybe one day be able to put pen to paper, um, in this way that I had always done and somehow communicate with people. Um, and a lot happened, which we can get into if you like, but, you know, there was a lot of rebellion and a lot of, uh, you know, I dropped out of college and made kind of a mess of things, um, in my, uh, in my young life and, um, And that was during a period of time when um, tragedy really struck my family, and uh, my parents were in a terrible car accident, and my father died as a result of his injuries, and my mother was very badly injured. And that horrible, horrible incident um, also served as this tremendous wake-up call for me, and it sort of catapulted me back to school, back to college, um, and to a place where I was writing really seriously for the first time. Still with no idea that I could actually do it, but I was trying. Uh, I was aiming. I was aiming at some kind of target, even though the target felt like it was a million miles away. Um, And so while I was in college, um, one of my mentors urged me to stay and go to graduate school, and so I did and i wrote my first novel while i was in graduate school and then really my adult life as a creative writer began and i um i i published that first book which was um a huge um surprise uh to me and everyone else i knew um and i began publishing and teaching and um building a life as building a creative life um and so Devotion was my seventh book. I wrote three novels and then I wrote a memoir called Slow Motion. And then after Slow Motion I wrote two more novels, Family History and Black and White. And no one was more surprised than me when I turned out to be writing this book, Devotion. Really. I no one could I did not want to write that book. I did not I, I'll tell you exactly what happened. I was it's always very hard for me when I'm between books. I never know what's next. And and I always feel like nothing will ever come. Like that, you know, that that this is it. I've had a good run, but now it's, you know, now now I I'm just never going to have another idea again. And I always have to be very patient um, and quiet and 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 wait. Really wait and allow the next idea to materialize and not force it. And so I was in my little writing office and I was in the middle of my yoga practice, which the practice that I've had for a long time, to, I mean, to the point where I now do it by myself most of the time. And I was in tree pose, which is a standing, balancing pose, and all of a sudden the word devotion like, appeared before my eyes, mm. like this word, devotion. And I saw it, and at that very moment I knew exactly what it meant, and I, what it meant was that I needed to write this book that was... An exploration of what really felt to me like a midlife existential crisis I was waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning every morning in this kind of panicked state not having any idea what was wrong nothing was wrong everything was okay there have been lots of times in my life where something was wrong but nothing was wrong I was happily married um, my my son was healthy and thriving um, after he had been ill as an infant, but he was completely fine. I loved my career, I loved my friends. We had moved from New York City to Connecticut um, uh, after, after 9-11. I loved where I was living, it was peaceful and contented, and yet I was not peaceful and contented. I was right. waking up in this panic, and in the moment that I saw the word devotion, I thought, okay, I know. What this is this is I always write all of my books are in some way trying to answer some kind of question or explore some kind of question that is deep and important to me. Uh, I often can't even articulate what the question is as I'm exploring, but yeah. this much I knew I knew that Jacob, my son, who was at the time. I guess at the time he was probably seven years old. Mm-hmm. But a, a few years earlier, he had started asking me these questions. You know, Mom, what do you think happens when we die? Do you believe in God? Um, what do you believe? And I had so opted out of all that that I had not been able to honestly respond to him. And I thought, you know what? I I can't stand the fact that I that my son is asking me these huge and important questions, and I don't know... How to talk to him about this. And so I realized that I had to embark on this book.
0: Oh, I love that. I love, you know, it's such, it resonates with so, as I'm sure it has with so many other people. But maybe it's, you know, being 45 at the moment and, and all of us skinning our knees and having some sort of, uh, impact. But I think for, for me, realizing that we're all connected, and um, I never really looked at leadership that way in life that way. And I resonate mm-hmm. with what you say in devotion, where um, and my wife's the same way, probably even worse than me. But when something good happens, I'm always, as you put in your book, waiting for the shoe to drop. And mm-hmm. even even when things are good, even when things are good, um, there's a, still an inner voice that says, it's too good to be true. Um, then the whole idea of faith and God comes into play. I see bad things happening. It doesn't make any sense. And like an outsider looking in, I see people, this seems to be working so well for them. I have too many questions. It doesn't make any sense. And it just becomes so overwhelming. And I think that's why yeah. the book resonated with me. Is any of that, what I just said, making sense?
2: It's making perfect sense. And and one of the ways in which, I think the, the probably the most profound way in which writing devotion and publishing devotion and bringing it into the world really changed my life, is that while I was writing it, I was feeling a lot of what you're describing. I was feeling like, well, I'm feeling this way, but I don't know if anybody else feels that way. I don't know if that, that guy over there feels that way. He seems to really have his, his act together. And I don't know whether, you know, that 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 lady over there, I mean, wow, I mean, she has it. Everything is great. I mean, why can't, you know, like why can't I just relax into this good time in my life and without this feeling of this, you know, this backbeat of, but it's not going to last. It's not going to last. Right. It's not going to last. I mean, of course it's not going to last. Nothing lasts, but like to not being able to just take into it. And so I started writing this book and it started, as you know, it, it, it's written in these small kind of like almost puzzle like pieces and as i was writing it i thought why is it coming out this way this is this is terrible no one is going to want to read this book because it's it feels like it's so idiosyncratic and it's so utterly specific to me and my experience that no one is going to identify with it it's a little bit about my Jewish background. It's a little bit about my yoga practice. A little bit about being a daughter. A little bit about being a mother. A little bit about being a wife. A little bit about moving from the country, to, you know, city city to the country. A little bit about being a writer. A little, you know, like and and like who's going to relate to this? Who's? It's too specific. But there was nothing I could do. I had to write it. I had right. to. I was completely compelled to. And then, and I really thought I might be writing, making a big mistake, but mm-hmm. right, and writing a book that no one would want to read. And and then and then the book came out and almost immediately I started receiving all of these letters and all of these invitations to speak at places. And what the letters said to the letter, to every single one of them, contained somewhere within it the sentence, You've told my story.
0: Right.
3: First of all.
2: And they were from people with completely Different life experiences than me and completely different backgrounds they were from Catholics and Mormons and Christians and agnostics and people who were raised with nothing and people who were raised as hippies and flower children and people who were <laughs> you know people who were raised Jewish but with no you know with, with with no which is culturally every they were from men they were from women they were from old people they were from young people and and then the invitations to speak started coming in and they were like, come speak in our Unitarian Church, and come speak in our yoga studio, and come speak in our temple, and come speak in our backyard. And and the revelation to me, and it didn't come quickly, actually, because for a little while there, when the book first came out, I was just so stunned that this was happening, and I didn't know what to do with it. Um, but, you know, the book was first published in 2010, And so we're talking about four years now, or three and a half to four years. And the feeling that I now have that was so life-altering was, inside, we are all the same. Right. Inside, this yearning and this feeling of yearning to connect, but feeling like an outsider, feeling like your nose is pressed to the glass... Feeling like other people somehow know how to do this life thing and you don't know how to do it. Those kinds of feelings are universal feelings. They are what it means to be human that's right. and living and have a heartbeat.
0: You know, that is the overriding theme that's probably the biggest lesson I've had going on in almost 200 interviews with the show in two years' worth. And I've talked to, you know, probably the most prominent, well known is Steve Forbes. But even Steve Forbes said pretty much that same thing that. He deals with fear, uncertainty, doubts, limiting beliefs, even to this uh-huh. day. And I think that in a lot of ways was eye-opening for me or refreshing for me uh-huh. um, because that means, hey, I don't have – how do I say it? It, le- it lifts kind of that burden off of me of not feeling like an outsider. I'm not an outsider, I guess. That's the revelation or the aha moment and that we, mm-hmm. all, that we all deal with fear and uncertainty, and that life is, you know, the human condition is kind of one of suffering, and I don't say that in mm-hmm. a, oh, what's the point way.
3: Mm-mm, mm-hmm.
2: that it's No, just, it's liberating to it's, Yeah,
0: exactly. Liberating is the right word. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, liberating it's, is the like right It's
2: liberating, and also I think that to understand, I mean, I do think that there are probably people walking around um, with a kind of... um facade of confidence like even to themselves right. in other words um that is not that's not useful like one of the things i mean since still writing my most recent book came out i've been talking a lot to audiences of writers and one of the things i always say to them is confidence is not your friend courage is your friend oh, i love but that con- yeah you know confidence is like like just it's it's False. It's not real. It's not, and it and it doesn't. For artists, it's it's particularly um, uh, counterproductive because an artist is attempting to communicate something, and if you're confident about what you're communicating, you're not going to be communicating it um, because you have to feel like there's, you know, in 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 writing in literature, the best work appears effortless. It appears that it must have been effortless to write it, but the most effortless appearing work has required the most effort um, to, you know, to, to sort of hone it and chisel it on the part of the of the, of the writer. And, um, you know, I've been talking about this with friends of mine who uh, are fe- like really famous, like household name kind of people. And every one of them You know, and I'll say, so, like, when you, when you wake up in the morning brushing your teeth, do you look in the mirror and say to yourself, hey, I'm so-and-so, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a big deal, the world thinks I'm a big deal. Well, no, I mean, that's like, they all, they laugh, you know, it is the same wealth, success, uh, leadership, being in that, being in that place is, is not about puffing oneself up into that kind of well like I'm I'm a big deal so that they're gonna listen to me. I've got I've got something important to say. I think having something important to say actually comes from that place of really being willing to tell the truth about yes. oneself and you know, about 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 the 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 way that the way that you see this human condition that we're all in. Yeah. yeah. Because it's such a relief. It's a huge relief for people to understand that.
0: Well, and I think, yeah, well, yeah, you said a couple of things that really. And I talk about confidence a lot. And from the leadership perspective, I talk about it's not about the larger than life charismatic kind of false confidence that you're talking about. Absolutely right. I think that it, that it covers up some sort of insecurity or some. Limiting belief, and I think when you can openly, it takes a great deal of courage to be vulnerable and authentic about what you just talked about, and that's the type of that what's lacking in so many aspects of every everybody's life and what we see around us, and why we mm-hmm. get get fed so much of the kind of plastic banana phone and baloney stuff all the time and the fluff exactly. and, the, and the cotton exactly. candy. And, and
3: and
2: and what that does as well is that it makes people, I think, often feel like that's that's what's real,
0: right. Exactly right.
2: You know, we're on this twenty four seven media cycle that, you know, whether it's you know, social media or or, or 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 um or or digital media or just media media where um we're we fed a lot of um you know, persona kind of based stuff and um you know, there there's 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 a lot that, that can appear very Um, you know, slick and packaged and that that's the way that we're all supposed to be when, in fact, all that does is keep everybody in their own bubble.
0: Hey, halfway through the show here, I want to take the time to pause and talk about 99designs, especially for you startup entrepreneurs, people who are thinking about starting a podcast. You know, we'd all like to avoid the dreary side of business. I know I did. I like the sexy side of doing these interviews, but let's face it, behind the work, there's paperwork, there's all kinds of things we got to do. If you've decided to take the leap and you're ready to start your own business, You're probably knee-deep in all kinds of details and you're overwhelmed, you know, and you may find that the creative side of your brain is craving attention. Luckily, there's one task you need to do that is more creative and that is getting a few designs in place so you can begin connecting with clients so you can start getting the name and face of your business. You know, with a powerful logo, a website, social media design, all of that, you'll be able to promote your business. It gets excited. It starts to become tangible and real, both in person and online, and you can start right away. At 99designs, a leader in the graphic design space. You can get anything designed in just a week for a startup-friendly price. I can tell you this is great, especially when you're in a bootstrap budget. 99designs can help you build your client base before you even open your doors. I've used 99designs, and I love the personal experience and the, and the, the, the flexibility of working with them. What if you could start your next design project today and have dozens of designs to choose from in just seven days? Well, you can. Visit 99designs.com leadership and get a $99 power pack of services absolutely free. Where devotion spoke to me so well, and it, it, it crystallized a lot of the thoughts that I've been trying to to inform and mold and, and get out, is that it's not so much where I spent so much, and I think a lot of us spend so much of our lives trying to eliminate chaos within our lives, and we think that, you know, maybe climbing a ladder or a social status or an income level or a position or a title or, you know, heartfelt devotion to some religious belief or whatever it is, um, would eliminate that chaos. And to me, I don't think I just, I've come to the realization, I guess, that the chaos never really goes away and I'm okay. And I'm okay with that in, in this sense that I don't try to bring fire or gasoline to to make the chaos worse. I want peace. I want quiet. I want some stability, but at the same time, I'm okay with being afraid and, because mm-hmm. I know if I work through what's on the other side of being afraid, something great's going to happen on the other side mm-hmm. of that. And even mm-hmm. though it's maybe momentarily, because, you know, like you said, you never know, the veil may drop, and you have no control over it. You know, and the veil right. the veil may drop, and you may get cancer. I mean, you never know, but right. Um,
2: right. it doesn't, no, do, any, that, it doesn't yeah, do any good that, that's the, it. the the it. When I began devotion, one of the things that I knew, I didn't know very much at all, but one of the things that I knew was that I didn't want to change my life in the sense of in the sense that I didn't want to... It wasn't about going out there, you know, like traveling to the other side of the world in search of whatever it was that I was looking for, or, you know, answers. In fact, I didn't really think that I was going to find any answers. I wasn't even looking for answers. I was looking for the questions, for the right questions, and for a way of living that would enable me to feel that I wasn't missing my life, that, you know, I I had, and I write about this in Devotion, there's a moment, I had a very, very difficult relationship with my own mother, and when she was dying at the age of 80, um, she had really had a pretty unhappy life, and she was quite angry for most of her adult life, and um, felt just ripped off, like ripped off by life, and... She turned to me when she was dying of lung cancer at 80, and she said, but I was just getting my act together. Oh, gosh. And it just killed me. You yeah. know, like I, the thing that I knew, you know, we can have role models that are positive role models, and we can have role models that are negative role models in the sense of, like, I don't want that to be me. You know, that's a role model, exactly. right? yep. That's someone, you know, that, I don't want to emulate that. I want I want to live in a way that will will ensure that I... If I'm fortunate enough to be alive at that at that age, do not feel that way yeah
1: um
2: and and so in writing devotion there was p- part of it was how do I do that? How do I do that within my life as a very busy um writer professor uh mother, wife friend um, family member, community member. Um, I don't want to live on a mountain. I mean, sometimes I do, but mostly I don't. Mostly I want to, you know, go out and have, you know, a really delicious steak for dinner. And I want to go to the movies. And I want to, you know, have a dinner party and invite my friends. And, I, you know, I want to uh, go to a yoga class. I mean, I want, I want to have my life. My, you know, I, the Buddhists use the word householder, which I just think is such a great word for someone who... Is never going to be a monk um, right. you know and so that question of I'm not I can't get rid of the chaos I mean I just yesterday I cleaned my office I got rid of my big computer sitting on my desk so that I wouldn't have two computers and I could just work completely off my laptop and I got rid of it my husband took it away and got rid of all the wires and all the extra stuff and I have a clean desktop right now that I'm looking at right now as I'm speaking to you and it's gonna go up again, All right you know something else will you know there's always there are always things going on there's always encroachment I mean that's been one of my favorite words recently, you know, like there's a vine outside my house that climbs up a pipe and onto our roof and uh and every year we have to it's beautiful, but it's gonna ruin our roof, and every year we have to cut it down. You know, and it just starts creeping up again, and then we'll have to cut it down and but that's life that's living inside of like how do you step how do we step into the chaos, into the wind, into the emptiness, into the silence uh, and and do I wanted to try to understand what it was to do my part to be awake to be awake. As often and as much as I possibly could, knowing that it's not possible to be awake all the time. You know, knowing that you know, Virginia Woolf, who is my favorite writer of all time, has this beautiful passage where she talks about the difference between the cotton wool—she calls it the cotton wool of daily existence—and and then what she calls moments of being. And moments of being being, of course, what we want more of, moments where we're fully alive, fully engaged. We're really having, um, you know, kind of an indelible moment where we're understanding something important about ourselves or about the world or about someone that we love. And Cotton Wool is really, you know, you're driving along in your car and 20 minutes have gone by and you realize you haven't noticed anything. Yeah, like, how did right. how did you get to your destination? You yeah. know, uh, just being up, you know, up in our heads. But what she says is, most of our lives is cotton wool, hmm. um, and so it's about like how do you, uh, finding the calibration, finding tipping the scales so that it's more towards the moments of being and less towards the cotton wool. I think is all we can really hope for. But that's a huge deal.
3: It I is. mean, the idea yeah.
2: af- after Devotion came out, a lot of people would say to me because there's quite a bit in the book about meditating. A lot, I can't tell you how many people would say, I, "I'm a really bad meditator." Like I can't meditate my, my mind is too chaotic and you know my response to that after now having spent a lot of time studying and thinking about meditation is that all of our lot, li- all of our minds are too chaotic yep. my mind is completely chaotic it's not about not having a chaotic mind it's not about sitting down and not thinking it's about sitting down to meditate and going like, "Oh, that's what's going on in my mind." Yeah. Oh, I see. And and not judging it. Just saying, "Oh, look at that. I didn't realize I was constantly having those kinds of thoughts." Oh, interesting. Okay. I'm going to keep breathing. You know, yeah. sit here for 10 minutes. No big deal.
0: It's the intentionality that you're talking about. And I think that so much of us uh you know, we go on autopilot. Just we just drift and um I, for the better part of our lives. And I think what you're talking about there is getting to the point of intentionality and you're absolutely right. And being okay with the fact that you're right, that, that your mind is chaotic, that the chaos exists, there's going to be a fire. And I think that's what separates okay. people from, I hate to use the word success. It's almost like, um, uh, separates people from, um, having peace and success When I talk about success, I'm talking about a groundness and a peace, I guess. Mm-hmm. And an awareness or being awake. I liked. I loved how you used the word awake. I, I like mm-hmm. that. I mean, it's being awake in the moment and being completely present in the moment. I mean, that, that sounds a little cliche to be present in the moment, but how how many? Well,
2: it's one of the hardest things there is. It, to do? Right, exactly. I and mean, when I um, when I went on Oprah's show, uh, Super Soul Sunday, the thing like in the weeks that I had of knowing I was going to be going on the show, and I wasn't telling anyone about it because I didn't want to jinx it, and um, You know, I was feeling very superstitious, and I thought, oh, like, should I do some media training? You know, I don't really...
3: Uh-huh.
2: I don't love doing TV. I'm worried I'm going to be self-conscious, you know, blah, 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 all the thoughts that were going on in my head. And some, some things told me, no, that is not what you need to do, Danny, at all in the way of preparation. What you need to do in the way of preparation is get as centered and as grounded as you can so that you can be in that moment for that hour so that you can walk away at the end of that hour and feel like you didn't miss it and the the day that I was about to do the show and I was in Chicago and and we were going to start taping in just a little while and the producer uh for the show just this wonderful woman she took me out and showed me the sound stage and and everything and you know it's hard not to be intimidated sure. in that particular situation. there's pictures of Oprah and every <laughs> famous person who's ever lived, like lining this hallway you know right. every you know Oprah and every president every you know every every celebrity, everybody and um and this woman, the producer said to me, You know what the really great news is? All you have to do is be yourself
0: awesome, yeah,
2: and in that moment, the thought that went through my head is... Yeah, being yourself is hard hard it is. work it
3: to is. really
2: truly authentically embody and inhabit yourself and also yourself keeps changing. I'm not the same person I was a year ago.
3: Sure.
2: I I'm sure you're not the same person you no. were a year ago. No. You know, we keep we keep hopefully we keep evolving and so continuing to have that relationship with um you know what is it what is it to really really in in embody that inhabit that which i would imagine in all of the work that you've done on leadership that that's got to come up a lot
0: oh yeah definitely a lot yeah you know and i think too i think in where i think we stumble and fall and even in those cases and uh, you, when you were talking it brought me to the, i had a pretty good uh, uh she's actually an acting coach but she helped me on uh, not so much acting but speaking and presenting and being present and 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 she taught me a great lesson because what I do and I still, it's still a struggle for me. Uh, Be it an entrepreneurial journey. If I give a presentation, if I write something, uh, I fall into this comparison trap that is just almost debilitating. And it's probably been Mm -hmm. one of my biggest struggles. And Mm -hmm. I think, and you talk a little bit about this in devotion near the end. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that, and just like going on, to, I could just see myself going onto Oprah after it was over. I would beat myself up, going, "Oh my God, I was a horrible guest." Even though you know mm-hmm. what I mean, and comparing myself to, you know, "Oh my God, she's interviewed, you know, mm-hmm. Deepak Chopra and all, whatever, you know." Mm-hmm. And the, mm-hmm. and that just drives me crazy. I don't. It, it is which I think
2: is me. yeah. I mean, I think that 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 also you know that passage in devotion that you're referring to is one that a lot of people have brought up to me which makes me think that it's kind of like epidemic this you know this this of course you know this comparison thing like um and when i write about it in devotion it actually came the the revelation for me came out of having been at a meditation retreat and i took myself on on a retreat for three days it was mostly silent Uh, but there was quite a bit of teaching with some really wonderful teachers. And the thing in the three days of silence that I saw again and again and again was that the, the endless stream of chatter in my head would keep on landing on something that had to do with comparing myself. Right. Either comparing myself negatively and feeling really lousy about it, or comparing myself positively and feeling kind of all puffed up about that, or like that whatever it was, was this kind of constant, constant drone of like, how am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? And I was horrified. I had no idea. I and mean, that's why meditation is so brilliant. I and mean, I had no idea that I was doing that. I didn't know that I spent that much of my, like my subconscious, subterranean mental chatter being on comparison. And the, the great thing about knowing that is then you can catch yourself in the act. Yeah. That's all. You know, and just be like, because that's, you know, the Buddhists have this beautiful expression that's unskillful, you know? It's such, I love the word unskillful because it's very gentle. Yeah. It's not saying, "Ugh, oh, you idiot, you know, and like beating yourself up about it. It's just saying, well, that isn't skillful. I can learn to be more skillful about that. Like, yeah, there that is, is absolutely it, yeah. no value in comparing myself, and yet we all, you know, we all do it. And the really interesting thing is that there is never, and there's never a, a an end point if someone is caught up in the in the comparison. Uh, that vicious cycle of comparison, because right. there's always, always something more. I mean, does anyone? Ever feel like they have enough no. money, enough success, enough fame, enough beauty, enough—you name it—and um, you know, I have um, my, a literary agent of mine once said to me when I was really early on, as my first book was coming out, and she was a big, powerful agent who had a lot of big, powerful writers, and she said to me, "I have someone who's number four on the bestseller list, and they're obsessed with numbers three, two, and one."
0: Oh my gosh! Yeah.
2: And you know, and at the time I thought, "Oh my God, that would never be me. That's horrible." <laughs> you know, if you're number four, you should be satisfied being number four. But right. it's again, we're talking about human nature. It's human nature to, if you're going to compare, there's always, there's always somebody who's going to, in your mind, have more cookies than you do.
0: Yep. You know, I think that, and what I, I really. Kind of speaks to what I've I write and I speak about and talk about on this show is is so what do you do and because you could I could see some people looking at it and I know a lot of people like this I've even been there myself where you like okay so the human condition is this and if you look at it for what it is it can be very bleak however and there's always fear and uncertainty okay and say you've bought into that yeah I'm always going to be afraid of uncertainty. uncertain if I work through it something great will happen but that to me I think is the secret sauce if there is a secret sauce, but the, at least a huge part of it is to actually start doing something and, and being fully, pre- like you talked about being fully present. Uh, I know when you talked about on, on the uh, super soul Sunday, you know, the, the moments of grace of my favorite part of that interview was when you talked about, um, kind of the chaos of getting ready for breakfast in the morning or or the morning routine and, you know, and everybody's cranky and the, and, dogs barking and all that stuff mm-hmm. and you caught yourself in that moment and you said Some, yes. someday I'm going to miss this yes and that is yes. so, oh that just gave me goosebumps when I heard that it is true because in and you well
2: said, the whole idea is, is to not miss your life yes. and to you know to to go back to what I said about my mother to not to not you know be at the end of your life thinking you know I I I'm I'm only now just figuring things out um you know the, the the feeling of being able to catch yourself. It's like, I mean, I'm talking about things like comparison and and you know confidence or you know you know the fear and 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 all of the stuff that I I think that being a being a writer has taught me about more than anything because every day I have to get up. I mean, we all do, uh, in one way or another. Um, but every day I get up and I face the blank page. Yeah. and the bl- the blank page has become this incredibly uh, useful um, metaphor for me because in my life it's not actually a metaphor. Every day I have to make something out of nothing, um, and you know, if if somebody is going to a job or or has um, a career that involves either other people or some kind of momentum, where you're sort of stepping into a stream and you know the day kind of unfolds, there's less of a glaring you know, glaringly obvious, like, wow, there's nothing on that page, and it's going to remain blank unless I start to try to hurl myself at it and st- start filling it with words. And and that, the you know, the taking of action, the feeling of, yes. you know, we have this one precious day, we have this one precious moment, what are we going to do with it? Um, you know, the, okay, so... I'm you know courage isn't the absence of fear courage is feeling the fear and doing it anyway exactly. it's 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 so much about you know the the the- the, t- the taking of the step, whatever the step is, and however small the step it doesn't have to be a leap it's 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 I really believe that it's about action, and I think you know if I were to sum up you know. What I wanted to try to understand or think about in writing devotion, it was, I I don't I know yes the other shoe will drop that is true of life yep. right? right like someday something bad will happen true of life.
3: Um,
2: I don't want to sweep that under the rug because to sweep that under the rug is to deny a truth about life right. and perhaps and perhaps even to. Um To diminish the sacredness of every moment, um but I also don't want to be consumed by that in this way that depresses me or makes me not want to get out of bed in the morning right. i want to I want to get out of bed with um, hope in my heart and with optimism and with a sense of purpose and a sense of kindness and clarity and um and wanting to uh you know be alive to the day and you know and and inhabit myself come what may. I mean if we really, really thought about what it means to love someone, we would never risk loving someone. That's true. Because loving someone means losing someone. Inevitably, eventually, someday. That's right. You know? So so to me none of this is depressing or um, or it's or pessimistic. It's the opposite the opposite, complete opposite of that. It's the feeling of, you know, I want to face into the, into all of it, into you know, into the you know, the beauty and you know and and the beauty of the chaos.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of I used to be a big fan of George Carlin and uh, mm-hmm. I think go back and think when he, he had a little dog tippy and he talks about tipping goes. think about how crazy this is you're when, and you go into this transaction when you buy this little puppy you know you're buying a personal tragedy you are buying mm-hmm. a personal tragedy right but you wouldn't have it any other way you know what i mean right and right it's exactly right
2: yeah i love that yeah yeah um i mean you wouldn't have you wouldn't have children you that's wouldn't, right uh but puppy no puppy in particular because yeah it's it's uh uh that's so true
0: and, it's, and I thought that was just thought of an interesting look at it. And it's so true. And it's exactly what we're talking about here, you know, and it's like it's the the moments of joy and and everything you do with the seven to ten years of having that dog, you know, is worth, you know, what I mean, and you're going to lose yeah. it. I mean, but that's yeah. that's, that's how you got to look at life in general, you know, because to your point, if we if we obsess over it and we stare out the window and we don't do anything. Um, we're robbing ourselves of of the the richness and the because you're right. It's going to happen. Something bad's going to happen. You don't know when.
2: Um, right, and it's and it's not a it's not a matter of um, it's 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 a kind of counterintuitive or paradoxical idea, but it's not a matter of um, pushing that thought aside. It's a matter of holding that thought lightly.
0: Yes. Yeah.
2: And. Um, you know, there's there's a moment I write about in devotion where I I first met uh one of the people who became very important to me and um and has since become a, a really dear friend, um, the Buddhist uh teacher, Sylvia Borstein. And Sylvia was teaching, um and she talked about um the promises that are ma- made, the you know, that it's it's a Buddhist um uh uh sort of list a piece of wisdom about if you practice loving kindness meditation uh here are some of the things that uh that may happen in your life that will be that will be blessings and there are all sorts of things you'll sleep peacefully um you know you'll you know you'll feel better i don't remember what they all are but the one that resonated most deeply with me was to die unconfused
0: oh yeah isn't that great?
2: And you know, and I think that goes back to you know what I said about my mother and the way that the, the way that she was really genuinely confused at the end of her life um, about where she had gone wrong, but just that feeling of, um, you know, like I don't I don't like the feeling of like wait where did this year just go where did this year go you know yeah uh, how 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 have we been so busy that we've sort of missed. You know that feeling of just realizing that an entire year has gone by since a certain event, and and it seems very, very, like it's impossible that it's that span of time.
0: Yeah, it seems to be getting Um, getting worse as I I get older, too.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that the more that we're living, able to live in the moment, the more time seems to actually somehow slow down.
0: Well, I'm all for that because it just seems like it's just getting faster and faster. You know, I remember my father, he died four years ago and he just kept saying, he's like, I just don't know where the time went, you know? Yeah. And he wasn't ready yeah. to go, you know, when he died, he just, he wasn't ready to go. He had lung cancer too. Yeah. And, uh, uh, it was just like, I remember there's a, that was about the last conversation that we had because it was in hospices in our house. And that was about the last real conversation. I said, well, what do you need dad? You know? And he was just like, and he was kind of laughing and I'm like what's so funny he goes I'm just not ready and he was smiling mm-hmm. when he said it he didn't say it in a he didn't say it in a kind of a, like a longing I didn't live a full enough he said he just wasn't ready and mm-hmm. that just mm-hmm. was like oh. and mm-hmm. that made me think well what and you know and I kind of kind of the same moment like with your, your mother there I didn't want to be at that point either but again I don't know if anybody's ever. well I don't know
2: I, 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 I think that there's like a kind of, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm thinking of all sorts of people I know who are, who are young, you know, who have had some, you know, really difficult, scary health things and stuff like that. And, you know, I mean, certainly aren't ready, you know, or, or, yeah. or but, but, and, and, but I do think that there's also, there's some elderly people that I know, um, where where uh, just just one or two um you know to go back to the whole idea of role models when i see someone who i feel is has lived you know I, one of them is my 90 my 90 year old aunt my aunt Shirley who i write about a lot in yeah, devotion yeah, mm-hmm.
0: um She's still al- who, she's still with you she's is she's hmm? still she's still alive now
2: she's still alive oh, wow. she has 58 great grandchildren wow <laughs>
3: um
2: and i talk to her regularly and i actually just went and visited her jacob and i went uh, she's living now in chicago and we went to see her and she is someone who i would say is um where there is you know you're talking about that sense of like peace and contentment yes um there is a sense of peace and contentment right um, you know does she want to live longer absolutely and is you know she's all there mentally i mean just completely she's more there mentally than you know like any 30 year old i know um but there's there's just i think uh like staying in that place of curiosity and aliveness and um i don't know the 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 further i move into my own life and in in midlife, you know, there, there was this quote from Jung that was one of the things that propelled me uh into uh the journey that, you know, that that, that became the book devotion where um Jung Carl Jung wrote, um thoroughly unprepared, yeah. We take we take the step into the afternoon of life. Yeah. And You know, I think the part of that that really, and by the way, you know, Jung defines midlife as 35 and up, so
3: Mm -hmm. it's,
2: you know, it's a big chunk of life there, and the the, the phrase there that really, really haunted me and that, you know, stopped me and made me think was thoroughly unprepared, you know, and, and I think to go back to the whole idea of leadership, you know, being, what does being prepared mean, you know? What does being unprepared mean? I think, you know, being prepared has a lot to do with being present.
0: Well, yeah, because even as take to take Young's um, thought even further, he talks about you can't live. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but I, I think it, you can't live in the. How did it go? The you can't live afternoon life. You can't
2: live um, the the afternoon of life according to the, the rules right. of life's morning. Right, he said. Yeah. Um, because what was true in the morning is not true. Will now, be little right. little use at evening. Um, no, no. What, what was true in the morning will be little use in the afternoon, and by evening will have become a lie.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: And that's like mind blowing. Where you think, okay, wait a minute. I spent the first part of my life developing all these tools and all these skills, and I'm talking about like you know emotional skills, psychological skills, you know these these ways of getting through life and wait a minute you mean i have to develop a whole new set I have to add to this set Or <laughs> right. some of these aren't even going to be like useful to me anymore the way i did things at 25 isn't useful to me at 45 oh no you know but, but i actually think that that's, i think that's awesome i think that that's great i do too yeah i agree um with you. yeah and, and and a hard thing is when you know when 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 somebody sort of sticks with well wait a minute this is the way i've always done things so i'm gonna, i'm gonna i'm gonna hold on to that
0: but then, then I go back to your aunt Shirley, though, because if you you look at what I mean, you, you get that great um, part of the book where you, she's looking out the back at that tree that's been there, you know, and she's been in that mm-hmm. same place in the same house, and and you look at all the pictures of the relatives and this this lineage and how everybody seems to be connected with all of that. I mean, and I and I'm not taking anything away from Shirley. I mean, I, lo- I mean, t- I look at that and so I look at a great sense of so comfort so, when I look at that. No,
2: I I know exactly what you're saying, but like. Here's, here's something that happened uh, after, this is, you know, in the way that sort of life goes on after, after a book is finished. Um, so my son Jacob um, was bar mitzvahed. Um, he's, now, he's now 15, so two years ago, uh, j- just about exactly two years ago. And because of everything that I learned and everything that all the people that I met who became really part of my life while I was writing devotion... Um, I created and and made happen his Bar Mitzvah in a very um, unorthodox way, shall we say. Right. Um The rabbis were female. It was held in a um, congregational church near my home. Um, r- readings were given by friends who were Buddhists, a friend who had just been ordained as... Um, an Episcopal priest, Um, the the service itself was very traditional in the sense that Jacob read all the Hebrew and read from the Torah and did all that, but but it was, you know, to give you an example, at the end of the service, Jacob played the ukulele and I played the piano and (laughs) the entire congregation sang Leonard Cohen's Broken Hallelujah. (laughs) So, and there wasn't a dry eye in the house. It was really? really, an it was an incredibly beautiful service and probably the happiest day of my life, even though that makes me sound like a total dork. But it was because everything that I had worked for, everything that I had thought about in terms of building a spiritual life came to fruition on that day. And my Aunt Shirley was invited um, she was 88 years old at the time and living in Chicago, and we love each other a lot, and I think in many ways she really wanted to come, but it was outside of her comfort zone oh, as an yeah. Orthodox Jew right. to come to a church. She probably never set foot in a church in her life, to have female rabbis, female rabbis in the way that she, um, you know, observes are, you know, not recognized at all. Women don't read from the Torah. Uh, You're not supposed to play musical instruments on the Sabbath. I could go on. I mean, the list was endless about, you know, ways in which this would not be something she'd be comfortable with. And finally, I I had that realization because I selfishly wanted her there because I love her and Jacob loves her and I wanted her there. And so there was this day where I... I just realized that I was putting her in an uncomfortable position, and I didn't want to do that. And mm. I called her up, and I said, listen, I know you can't come, and it's okay that you can't come. Jacob and I will come visit you, and we will bring pictures. And, and I have another question for you. The rabbis have been asking for... Um, so Jacob was wearing, um, he was bar mitzvahed in my father's talis, you know, right. the, the ceremonial shawl, right. the prayer shawl that had been my father's. And my father was a big guy, and Jacob was a, was a little guy two years ago, and the, so the, the shawl was enormous on him, and the rabbis had said, do you have any, um, there are these ornamental clips called talus clips, do you have any? And I said, no, my father never had any. So I was on the phone with Shirley, and I said, Shirley, by the way, do you have any, do you have any talus clips? I do and, and there was this pause on the other end of the phone, and she said, just today I was cleaning out a desk, and in the desk there was a box. And in the box, there were two sets of Talos clips, Hmm. and they must have been your grandfather's. I am going to put them in the mail to Jacob. It's going to be my gift to him, and that way, we will be with you in spirit. Oh, I love that. And Jacob was bar mitzvahed in his grandfather's Talos with his great-grandfather's Talos clips. And then just about a month ago, he and I went and visited Shirley, and fulfilled that promise I had made to her, and we brought his Bar Mitzvah album, and she sat side by side with me on her couch in Chicago and looked at every single picture of the female rabbis and of Jacob playing the ukulele and of everything that went on at that service, and she was beaming with pride.
3: Hmm.
2: So it wasn't... I mean, talk about someone open-minded no she she wasn't comfortable in participating in something that was not in alignment with her beliefs but she was completely capable of loving me and loving jacob and sharing our joy and recognizing how meaningful it was to us and so that's what i mean by like someone at that point in life having the kind of she was pointing at pictures and saying so who's that one And, oh, look, isn't that beautiful? And, oh, I see how... I mean, it was so rich and meaningful.
0: Oh, that's great. I love that story.
2: Yeah.
0: I love your Aunt Shirley, too.
2: Yeah. (laughs) She's pretty great. I love love sharing her with the world as much as I can. Yeah.
0: Oh gosh, Danny, what a great conversation. This is the longest one I've had on Dose of Leadership. I don't know if that means anything to you, but just <laughs> wow. So, uh,
2: well I've loved every minute of it. I loved I love you know, I really love talking about this stuff that you know this is the stuff that matters, I think. I
3: mean,
2: so yeah, I I, think, I so appreciate it.
0: Yeah, and I think that, you know, and again this book really has it, it um it has impacted me in a in a lot of more than you know. And um it's it just kinda of caught me by surprise because I'm so you know, it's when you again you talk about leadership, you talk about um and I guess where I was two years ago when I started this project, it was more about the hey, you know, learn in it it's less and I've been a huge proponent of being less about charisma, it's more about being calm and, and confident. I use the word the confident, consistent and courageous, but what is really coming forth of all of this and and it's just weird how all this is my third interview today and at the two of the morning we talked about the same topic it is about this kind of um each of us are, are human you know we're longing for some sort of significance some purpose mm-hmm. um and it is all about open-heartedness and at the at the end of the day leadership is all about love and that's what i talk about a lot and, uh mm-hmm. and that's what mm-hmm. i want people to understand. I love that. and it, yeah. it it is an act of uh, the heart and the head it is all about love and it's not about hitting people over the head with wiffle ball bats to get things done and um <laughs> right and i don't know and plus the other things too i mean the relationship you had with your mother was almost textbook what my wife and her mother went through and she just mm. died, she died a, a bitter angry woman and it was just so, mm. so sad and um, yeah and I know we don't want want to live that way. Gosh, I love you. I love what you do. I love your work. I'm going to read the rest of your stuff, and I'm so oh, glad good. To, to come across Thank
2: you, me. Richard. This was a total pleasure. I hope we get to talk again. Yeah, definitely.
0: How can people get in touch with you? How can uh, give a quick... I'll have links to this in sure. the post. But um,
2: well, there's my, my website, which is com, and that's D-A-N-I-S-H-A-P-I-R-O.com. And then on Twitter... Which I am on. Um, it's it's at Danny J Shapiro.
0: Awesome. I'll have links to all this. People, you got to go buy Devotion. and Everything. You got a bunch of other stuff. But uh, I'm gonna read all your other stuff too. But I'll have cool. Thanks forward. so much. All right, hang on the line. We'll talk for a minute after we stop the recording. But guys, thanks for coming on the show.
2: Thank you.
1: Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership eBook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.